Good day, fellow explorers. This is what we have for you on today's Impact Everywhere podcast. If you are a brand that is reliant on making not great product, selling it at a low price, your environmental impact is going to be really big. And maybe your revenue number is pretty big as well. But if you can shrink that environmental footprint number, then that ratio of revenue to footprint or impact really starts to change. And one amazing way to do that is to sell the same item multiple times. So let's say that second sale is 60% of the first. So now you have 160% of the revenue that you otherwise would with almost the same environmental impact because you didn't have to create a new product. Hello, friends, and welcome to Impact Everywhere, the podcast that looks for people having a positive impact in unexpected places. Today, we have Wilson Griffith, the founder and COO of Recurate. I discovered Wilson through Peter Daring, our guest from episode 37, who brought his name up as a really interesting entrepreneur that was in the process of developing a fantastic solution that would help integrate an entire used marketplace directly inside of anybody's website. Now, I know what you might be thinking. What's so special about that? Well, I'm here to tell you that it is a really big deal if this manages to take off. The resale market is worth billions of dollars. In 2018, ThreadUp, an online resale marketplace, pegged the total resale market at about $24 billion, predicting that it would reach $64 billion by 2028. As someone who's worked really hard to raise awareness for overconsumption, I think that one of the primary drivers of everything from climate change to modern day slavery is a direct byproduct of our habits as overconsumers. So anything that can lower our rate of consumption, I think is a fantastic tool. In today's episode, we dive deep into the world of resale. Wilson takes the time to explain what the current state of resale is and why it's inadequate, along with how they've thought through every single tiny little detail that they think will create the behavioral change necessary so that something like this can work. Finally, we do a little bit of future prediction, imagining how consumer markets might look like in the future, where we shift from a model of ownership into one of subscription. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This is Wilson Griffith, and here he is, telling us about the state of resale today. Anything that we can do as a society to keep products in circulation longer is terrific. And I should add that there are people that make a fair amount of money and potentially even a living by buying and selling and flipping secondhand and refurbishing. That said, for your everyday customer, it's cumbersome for sellers to list on these platforms. You have to measure your product, remember when you bought it, what model it is. Sometimes that's clear, sometimes it's not. And then I think for buyers, there's no consistency. If you go on eBay, you'll see non-standard listings. You'll see a huge range of product photography. It's really hard to comparison shop because different people have different standards as sellers for the content that they share and the photos that they share and how they grade items. And it's really that lack of consistency that I think really hurts the experience for buyers compared to a new product when, you know, you go to a brand site and you buy something, you have a pretty clear expectation for all of those things. And you don't need to ask the brand follow-up questions the way that buyers and sellers do on, on those other platforms. The other major stakeholder here that's left out are brands. And if brands are doing an incredible job of developing high quality, innovative product that lasts for a really long time, they should benefit from 
the second and third and fourth and on sale of that product. We just think that makes sense. And that for a lot of the brands that we work with, they have incredibly loyal customers and they want to see these brands succeed. So that's obviously another huge element that's left out of the Ebays and Poshmarks of the world is the brands. And if a brand is developing amazing product, they should be rewarded for that as well. So that's another, that's really a core tenant of what we've built is including brands in this whole process in a way that they can both help the consumer experience, but also benefit themselves as a business, which obviously has a number of carry on effects of what that would mean for business models and the way that brands buy inventory and engage with their customers. So what exactly is the Recurate solution? Can you describe that to me? For someone who has never heard about this platform before and what the potential solution is, how are you addressing all of these issues? What we do is we bring a peer-to-peer resale market directly onto a brand site. So we try to take the behavior that's already happening on eBay and Poshmark and bring that behavior onto the brand site. So what that looks like in practice is that if you're a customer of Brand X and you buy a few items a year, when Brand X is working with Recurate and you log in to your purchase history on that brand site, you'll see the eight products that you purchased in the last three years from that brand in your purchase history. Each one will have a sell used button next to it. So we make it super easy for you to decide to sell an item. When you click on that sell used button, we will bring in all of the information that we have about that item on your behalf. When you bought it, what you paid for it, what size it is, what color it is, what materials it's made from, the original photography that the brand used when they sold you that item two years ago. We bring all of that in on behalf of our sellers. And then we ask our sellers to share current state information on that product. What condition is it in today? We work with our brands to recommend a price. And then we give the sellers an opportunity to share any other detail about that product. Super easy listing process, reducing a lot of that friction that exists on other platforms. Once the seller completes that, the brand will have a chance to review that listing, see the photos, say, yep, that's our item. Looks like it's in excellent condition, just like the seller said. We're going to approve this and make it available for purchase on our site. That product then is available for sale on the brand site. A buyer comes along, they purchase that item. We as Recurate then facilitate a shipment directly from the seller to the buyer. So we don't take physical possession of the item. Our brands don't take physical possession. So super efficient environmentally and financially. And we execute that shipment from the seller to the buyer. Sellers have three days to fulfill the order. And then once it's delivered to the buyer, we check in with the buyer, make sure that they received it. It was in the condition that the seller advertised. And at that point, the seller will be compensated either in the form of store credit from a brand that they're already loyal to and buy from or at the brand's discretion, possibly in cash as well. You can pay out in either store credit or cash. So that's a core experience. There's a number of add-ons that we can do and custom functionality that we build in partnership with our brands. But that's really the core of the product that we've built. I want to dive in on the sentence you said a little bit earlier. You're trying to capitalize on behavior that is already happening. I'm sure you've done a ton of research on this. Can you explain to me, based on your studies, what is the behavior that is keeping people from buying things secondhand or or reselling things secondhand? Is it really just the friction piece of it? And so everything that you've done is 
designed to alleviate that friction or is it something greater than that? Yeah, it differs by brand. Some brands skew to younger, some brands have an older demographic, but generally speaking, regardless of the brand, there's a spectrum of the way people treat their items when they're not using them anymore. Some people, let's be honest, they hoard them, they throw them in a closet, they forget about them, but they hang on to them forever. Other people donate those items. Some people try to sell them on an existing platform. So there's a whole range of behavior. And our goal is to really go after almost all of those sellers. And that's by making it really easy for them to participate. Things also sell on our platform pretty quickly because there are already buyers coming to that brand site with intent to purchase from that brand, whether it's new or used. So as opposed to an eBay, where you're hoping that someone goes to eBay and types in the brand name and finds your product, there are already buyers on the site that are engaging with the brand. So there's a quicker time to sale through our platform. And then the other thing that I think is the long-term vision that we have is up until this point in time, it has always been the seller's responsibility to decide what they want to sell, when they want to sell it, and where they want to sell it. And that adds a lot of friction, again, and just indecision and puts a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the seller. Once a brand is working with us, we can get really clever about this product sold out in the new version. We are out of inventory, but we know that there's still demand out there. We're actually going to proactively reach out to our previous customers that we know have bought this item. Maybe they bought it two years ago. And we will say, hey, you bought this jacket. We hope you're wearing it every day. If you're not wearing it anymore, we know that people want to buy it. And we invite you back onto our site to sell it. You can earn store credit. You can buy something else from the brand. It really changes the entire dynamic. While the responsibility is not wholly on the seller anymore, it's really a conversation between the seller and the brand. And I think that opens up the world to so many more sellers who right now maybe just have so much going on that it's not top of mind. So I love that example because what you're talking about is the opportunity for a brand to deepen their relationship with a customer while also encouraging more sustainable behavior. Have you seen from your clients any sort of lift in, by being able to offer a used option? How are the customers responding to this? Are they more excited? Are they frustrated? What is the reaction? It's been really exciting. And honestly, that's the most fun is launching with these brands and seeing the way that their customers react. Our most recent launch was a women's clothing line based out of Boston. We had 100 secondhand products available for sale within the first 24 hours. That indicates that there's a lot of loyalty and a lot of people that have this brand's products that they want to move on from. But the reason they want to move on from them is because they want to buy something else from the brand with that store credit. So in that scenario, we had 100 listings within the first month. And that first month, we saw 3.5% top-line revenue growth. So the brand maintained their core business and then added 3.5% revenue from these resale products moving through our software on their site. And then obviously, they're compensating their sellers primarily with store credit. And those folks will be coming back to the brand with store credit in their account and intent to purchase again. We're continuing to gather that data. And obviously, we work very closely with our brands on the right metrics and tracking that. But that's just one of our more recent launches that we're really excited about. And has there been anything unexpected that you've discovered, something you thought was going to be huge, but then just never took on for whatever reason? 
I'm actually going to answer that in the other way, and, and I'm looking for some wood to knock over here. I've been very curious about customer experience, especially for buyers. What are they going to think when they buy an item from a brand and it's sold by another person in the community? That's a little bit of a different experience that's out there. And thus far, buyers have loved it. And we haven't had a lot of customer service issues, which is obviously something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. So I've been very pleasantly surprised by that. As far as something that we really expected to take off and didn't, we actually haven't encountered that yet, but obviously we'll keep thinking about that. And as we move forward, I'm sure that there's plenty of surprises in store for us. I just can't think of one off the top of my head. Perfect. Perfect. I'm sure that within the spectrum of the resale market, there are ideal profiles of people and less ideal profiles of people. Because if I was selling, uh, I don't know, $1 socks or something, the resale value of a sock or a uh, bra maybe might be absolutely terrible. What is the ideal clientele of Recurate and what do you actually see in terms of potential for revolutionizing? So I'll start with the second part of that. We see the potential is really unlimited, both as it pertains to young and growing brands who already have a lot of the shared values that we have, and that's a part of their ethos. And then over the long term, changing some of the way that legacy brands do business. As far as products, our target brands are ones that have high quality products that are well made that last. If a product is going to fall apart after one or two wears or uses, obviously there's not a lot of resale potential there. We do like to work with brands that have high quality products. And there are some categories that are less conducive to resale than others, obviously. Socks being an example that there's not a huge resale demand for socks, obviously. But other than that, I think we're pretty open to the kinds of brands that we work with and the product categories. Today, we have brand partnerships in apparel, footwear, handbags, outdoor gear, camera gear, and a few other categories. One constraint that we have to be open about is shipping. Some products are simply easier to ship than others. But even in that scenario, there's clever things that you can do to facilitate resale of large items like furniture. So that's one big criteria. What brands have items that retain their value over time? Another one is their customers. Younger customers are certainly more savvy about buying and selling online. It's also less stigmatized in their demographic than maybe it is with older customers. They don't mind at all. And there's all these stats and anecdotes about younger consumers preferring experiences over products, traditional products. And we are providing an experience. It's cool to buy a product that maybe has a little bit of history to it. Maybe it has some interesting wear. If it's an outdoor brand, maybe it's a product that somebody used to climb Mount Rainier. And maybe you think that's cool that this product has a story to tell. So you know, there's an experience component to it as well. And it's also a pretty cost efficient way to have a lot of variety. You can buy an item whether you buy it new and then you resell it and recoup some of the value or you buy it secondhand in the first place and you can get a new item to you, whether that's for a TikTok video or an Instagram photo or whatever it might be. So you can have that element of variety. I shy from the term fast fashion, but you can have that element of variety without needing to just buy new item time after time. I love that. I never actually thought about the story piece of it in a future strategy. Do you see a possibility where influencers who are maybe reviewing items can now 
go onto these secondhand marketplaces and now people can purchase an item that has gone through the hands of someone they look up to online. And there seems to be this potential for these brand influencer collaborations within the used secondhand market. Is that something you're actively thinking about? Yes, I would say actively thinking about and actively planning with some of our partner brands. We couldn't agree more, ton of opportunity there, whether it's even just a supportive community and they're excited about other people in this community they identify with that have potentially had this product before them. And then, yeah, once you get into endorsements and influencers, there's a ton of opportunity there that we're thinking about. And we have a few brands that are pretty far along and and how they plan on leveraging some of those opportunities. That's super exciting. I love it. I know that you have an upcoming brand partnership with Peak Design. And for those who are listening to this episode, I interviewed Peter Daring in episode 37, which is how I discovered will and how it led to this interview opportunity here. Tell us the secret of how this whole relationship began. Tell us a little backstory that maybe the rest of the world hasn't heard yet. Absolutely. And I will share that backstory. Before I do, I just want to give a huge shout out to the Peak Design team, Peter Daring, Adam Saraceno, the whole crew over there. Just amazing brand, amazing people, super fun to work with. So Peter Daring, who founded Peak Design, shared a little bit of our origin story, but I'll add a little more color to it. I actually met Peter through my dad, who does some conservation work for an organization called the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. He met Peter and and introduced us. This is before Recurate even existed. And I had some conversations with Pete about working with Climate Neutral, which is the organization that he started, and Gap Inc., which is where I was at the time working in sustainability. And had a couple of amazing conversations. And at one point, we really started to talk about product resale and what that means for sustainability and product quality and customer behavior. And I became obsessed. I I was to a degree already with the potential to bring resale in-house. But Peak Design just made for a perfect case study on a brand that would really benefit from this. It's also at the right size where they're big enough to matter, but they're still very nimble and agile. And again, at that point, Recurate didn't exist as a company. I was having some conversations with my now co-founder, Adam Siegel, who was frankly farther along than I was at the time on thinking about what this might look like. Uh, And Adam and I connected and we agreed that Peak Design is a perfect starting point and case study for what we wanted to build with bringing resale in-house. We've been working with them for a few months now. At this point, we're a couple of weeks away from launch. We built some custom features for them that we're really excited to share. And we'll be live here in a couple of weeks. Can't wait, honestly. When I hear you talk about this, so I'm very familiar with Peak Design. I'm a photographer, I'm an artist, and I love their products. And I know so many people who don't just own one or two Peak Design products. They buy like three, four, five, six, seven things, and they very often upgrade. And when I hear about what Recurate is doing in creating the secondary marketplace, I actually think it'll encourage people to take better care of their products because now they can resell it. And and so it'll last longer, but it'll have a greater shelf life. And in addition, there's so many people who can't afford peak design. And so in this sense, there's this paradigm shift that you are introducing into the world that I'm really excited about because for a very long time, it feels, especially in consumer marketplace, there's no incentive to create things that are better, that last longer, that are more durable, that perform. It's the opposite. And that's where we head towards fast fashion, where it's just buy more quicker, faster and discard, which is the root of all problems when it comes to sustainability. 
What is your hope for the future in terms of Recurate? How do you see this propagating and spreading around the world? Because when I hear you speak and when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, there's nothing bad about it. <laughs> so it feels like a no-brainer. But what are the biggest challenges in making a shift like this happen? Fantastic question. And obviously, super fun to think about. We could talk about the near term and, and what this means for peak design, but also then expanding that out. Peak design itself is, you can talk about influencers, there's sort of an influencer brand that other brands look up to. It's Kickstarter brand, really authentic, an amazing community, really high quality products. But then you think about, you can make something that works for peak design. How does that then expand out to other brands? And how does it change brand behavior long term? What we talk about, this is like a little pet metric of mine that I like to think about is dollars of revenue over environmental impact, right? So if you are a brand that is reliant on making not great product, selling it at a low price, your environmental impact is going to be really big. And maybe your revenue number is pretty big as well. But if you can shrink that environmental footprint number, then that ratio of revenue to footprint or impact really starts to change. And one amazing way to do that is to sell the same item multiple times. So let's say that second sale is 60% of the first. So now you have 160% of the revenue that you otherwise would with almost the same environmental impact because you didn't have to create a new product. We ship peer-to-peer, -peer, so it's super efficient. So our goal long-term is to really incentivize brands to make better products, to de-risk what's potentially a high price for customers because the customer knows that, yeah, maybe I'm going to spend $400 on this jacket and that's more than I would usually spend. But I know that in 18 months time, I'm going to be able to get $250 out of it. Now I'm not so much spending $400. Is basically renting that jacket for 18 months or two years for 150 bucks. That's not a bad deal. So the goal is really to incentivize those high quality products to see the idea of second and third sales with customers at the time of the initial purchase. And then also to improve this price access so that maybe someone is buying a really high quality item, a peak design bag secondhand, rather than buying something that doesn't come from a great supply chain that's not super well made. So you're actually getting a better product. Maybe it's used, but it's still probably an ostensibly better product than something new from a brand that doesn't have the same quality standards. So that's the long-term vision is really changing customer behavior, changing the way that brands think about their customers and think about their products and supply chains. When I hear you talk, it seems like there's a lot of benefit for the customer, but now you're adding a lot of workload to the brand. How much of the lift does Recurate plan on doing versus how much does the brand actually need to set into place? Because I can just imagine how much logistical customer service support and all that struggle that will come with implementing a solution like this. That's our goal. We're what we call a, a white glove solution for our brands. Our technology integrates on the back end with these brands and the listing process and all of that comes with our technology. The logistics executing these transactions, the shipments, that's all on us is recurate. We have systems in place to trigger the shipping labels automatically, email them to sellers. And then we also manage customer service on behalf of our brands. And obviously, early days, that's something that's super important, getting customers used to this behavior. There's some upfront questions. But again, this behavior is growing, whether it's on eBay or Poshmark. And a lot of what we do is 
similar from an operation standpoint. Customers are actually pretty comfortable with buying a, a secondhand item. And then we also help our brands market and educate their customers. So we have a lot of talking points, FAQs, landing pages, et cetera, that we can share with our brands as a starting point. Obviously, we encourage our brands to put that in their own authentic voice and communicate to their customers in the way that resonates best with their particular demographic. But we really like to help our brands from the tech component, through the logistics and operations, through the customer service, and even then down to the marketing and awareness building. And every time I throw you a question, you have these like super well thought out responses for everything (laughs) that comes back. I appreciate you saying that, man. I feel like I'm rambling over here, but I'm glad it makes sense to you. Yeah, I know. But there are these really well thought out questions. Everything has a thought and a reason and a logic behind it. And I'm curious, what about your past experiences, either at Gap or I think even before that you were at the Rainforest Alliance? Like, What lessons did you learn from these past endeavors that have enabled you to think so comprehensively about a solution that will truly be a win? So like customer, brand, consumer and planet. It's not easy to do. Maybe I'll start with what is most important to me, and and that's the planet. And that's the way I was raised. I mentioned my father earlier. He's on a conservation board, both my parents, and and I have an older sister. And we were out camping and always just had an, an appreciation for the outdoors. And my mom patched our jeans and fixed things growing up and hated to waste and, and throw things away. So that part of it is just like part of my value system that's been embedded I think what really helps my co-founder and I in building Recurate is that we have a brand background. Obviously, for me, it's at Gap Inc. And I realized that sustainability for the case of sustainability is tough. That's a tough sell for businesses, especially publicly traded companies. So you have to find ways to drive the business, give real business benefit, whether that's customer engagement, reacquisition, price access inventory security, a lot of these benefits that we think we provide our brand partners, and then layer the sustainability component on top. So that's just something that I learned during my time there. And and the obsession with the customer that comes in working with a brand, that's something that, that I learned at Gap and I take with me into Recurate. Similar, my co-founder, he worked for an organization called the Retail Industry Leaders Association, working with all the big names in retail, what effectively is a consultant and thought partner. So he also really understands where brands are coming from and what drives decisions in these businesses. So just incredibly helpful, I think, for both of us. And and when we have a conversation with a brand, for the most part, we can anticipate their questions, we can anticipate their concerns, because they're the same ones that we would have if we were on the other side of the, the table or Zoom screen in 2020 and 2021. No more meetings around conference tables. And then Rainforest Alliance, that was where I started my career. NGO world, really passionate people trying to make livelihoods for farmers and tropical commodity growers and co-ops better. So that's also something that's really important to me, not just the finished product and the consumers and the brands, but the supply chains. And obviously, what we do is more about keeping products in circulation But in effect, that also reduces some of the stress on supply chains and natural resources that brands would otherwise need to rely on to just churn out new products. So it all comes together. It's a non-traditional background. I'm a nonconformist, so I love the fact that I started my career at an environmental NGO, and I'm somehow a co-founder of a startup out in, in San Francisco. But when I think about it, it all fits together. I love that 
you know, you speak to the importance of speaking the same language as the brands. And I think that's something that we often see is when people are trying to push a solution that in a different language and a different value system and a value structure. And so I can totally see even in this interview, the language and the lingo that you're using is specifically targeted to address these concerns first and foremost. And I think that's something that a lot of us can learn about. When it comes to the role of brands and businesses in sustainability, do you believe it's something that we have to include all businesses into a more sustainable future? Do you think businesses and environment are actually at odds with each other? Like, How do you see that relationship if you were just going to maybe take off the startup hat and put on the environmentalist hat for a second? How do you see us moving forward in the next 100 years with these really ambitious climate goals that we're falling supremely short on? I'm on my heels with that one. That's a big, gnarly question. I wish I had the answers to it. I think that there's a few things. Number one, we just have to be more more inclusive, more empathetic, and think about the impact of the decisions that we have, not just on ourselves and on our coworkers, but on the world, the planet, both the people in it and the planet itself. Just being a little bit less focused on the near term and ourselves and those directly around us and a little bit more concerned with the full impact of what we do and the decisions that we make. The other thing that, that's really important to me is it's great to do something, but just because you're doing something doesn't mean it's enough. And I think that's something you see a lot with businesses is they were acting somewhat poorly before and now they're acting a little bit better and that's an improvement. Great. But in relation to the starting point of their own poor behavior, which is not enough to get us out of this predicament that we're in. I do think that there's a lot of opportunity and I think solutions like ours that can hopefully allow businesses to not just survive, but thrive and doing so in a way with a a really measurably better environmental performance, not just making products with 5% less water or 10% less energy, but saying, hey, you can sell the same product twice which is a completely different scope of impact reduction, again, compared to revenue or compared to business growth. It's a challenge. I hope that we can address one small part of it and one small aspect of it. There's still a ways to go. And there's a lot of really smart people out there. There's also people like yourself, (laughs) not that you're not smart, but there's people like yourself that are raising awareness and giving a platform to people that are really trying to put solutions forth. And All of these things matter. And if we can start rowing in the same direction, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to hopefully correct some of this. I have another gnarly question for you. And that is, do you believe that we can actually consume our way more efficiently out of the situation that we're in? Man, you're killing me over here. Yeah, I don't know that we can consume our way out of it. Obviously, consuming better, and and that's what we focus on, is a huge part of that. There's some really exciting technologies out there that are specific to apparel, for example, that allow for textile recycling at levels that haven't been available previously. But I would say my short answer is no. It's really hard to just consume your way out of these challenges that we have facing us. And we really need holistic solutions that address everything, everything from technology for carbon sequestration to I've been nerding out about geothermal energy lately and what that could mean for the electricity grid, consuming better, changing our consumption models. I would love to see us change some of the things that we value as a society, but that behavior component's even harder. No, I don't think we can simply consume our way out of it. It's so much more complex than that. But the way we consume, how we consume, the velocity with which we consume, all of those are levers that we can pull to make some level of improvement. 
Very good. Sorry for the hard questions, but I do think there are important questions to ask that aren't asked very often. But in your defense, though, I think what's really interesting about, so yes, you're advocating for more responsible consumption, what it also is an invitation and an on-ramp to better behavioral change. It's getting people to question how much they buy, how long they're buying it for, whether or not they can return it. And maybe in a world, in, as we look to the future, as things become more circular, do you envision a world in which we no longer buy and sell things anymore and probably just rent and recirculate? And if so, how would that fit into your vision for recurate? Or is that just like way too far away right now? I don't think it's too far away. One thing that you touched on earlier that I do want to make sure we mention is if you concede at the time of purchase that a product will retain its value if cared for, then that's going to incentivize the consumer to take care of that product maybe before they took care of it because they wanted it to last a long time for them. I think it's a different concept when you say, if you take care of this, yes, it's going to last a long time for you, but you'll also be able to get 50% of the value out of it when you're done with it. I do think that can change a little bit the way that we treat the things that we purchase and how we think about them. As far as the future of brands, I'm sure that I'm not the only person that's thinking this direction, but I certainly see, and maybe there's an example of this, Lululemon bought Mir, the the in-home fitness app, and I'm sure they have some idea of how they're going to integrate those. But more and more, I think brands are going to be memberships, so to speak, or aggregators of content, of community, of product. I won't be surprised when some brand launches and says, hey, we're the, uh, this is a terrible name, like the Men's Hipster Club of San Francisco. And what that means is you get a haircut a month, you get a product allotment of rental and resale from or a new product, rented product, secondhand product from this assortment of brands. We have speaker events. Oh, and you get a gym membership too. And it's $1,000 a month. I don't think that future is that far off. And the brands are going to just completely change the way that they interact with their customers. And it's not going to be make 100 units, sell 90, liquidate 10, repeat. And it's just going to be a completely different way for brands to interact and monetize and hopefully offer not just products, but services to their customers as well. And even at its most basic level, even companies like Apple are starting to lease their phones. So it started with cars, now we're moving down to phones. And so as we continue down that chain, it feels between what you're doing, which is offering a longer life cycle for different products and brands that want to recuperate high value materials and minerals, the future is looking pretty bright and optimistic. So anyways, I'm really excited for the fact that you are working on a tangible solution that can be applied immediately and right now. So the question I usually end this podcast with is, if you had one piece of advice for the world, what would that be? Just trying to be a little bit less focused on yourself all the time. And I'm building this business along with my co-founder. And and obviously, we're so focused on that. But remembering where we all fit in this world and that obviously our own health and well-being matters to us. We're all in this together. And we need to think about the consequences of our actions and how we can hopefully all work towards not just our individual gain, but the gain for society as a whole. That's what I aspire to. I hope that others aspire to it as well. And I hope that if we can all get on that bandwagon, that we can really make an impact here, make a more equitable society, certainly a more environmentally just society, and and hopefully one with a planet that will 
be here for the long term for future generations. They'll have diversity, they'll have wildlife, they'll have amazing natural wild places that they can go to and that those last well into the future. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to go and either share the work that you're doing with some of their business friends to get recurate into other platforms, or if they just want to integrate it into their own Shopify stores, where should they go? Awesome. My opportunity for a business plug at the end here. Right now, we're major growth stage. We are trying to engage with and partner with as many brands as possible. So I would say if you work for a brand and you're interested in offering resale on your site, whether that's a Shopify, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, whatever platform you're on, you can reach out to me, wilson at recurate.com, get in touch. Also, if you're just a customer of a brand that you think should offer a resale, Maybe it's a brand that you'd be interested in buying secondhand and, and they don't offer a resale. Let the brand know and let me know. And maybe we can find a partnership that way as well. And then if you just want to support us generally, we're on all the major social media channels. You can find me on LinkedIn. We have our, our company Twitter and Instagram. And I love to hear from you and just trying to build our community and a community of sustainable secondhand shoppers. Love it. I'm so jealous that you've found this really amazing way to help the world. Well, jealous in the best of ways. I'm just rooting for you. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Love everything that you're doing. And honestly, it's been an honor to be on. Appreciate all the questions. Appreciate your passion for the things that I think matter in the world. Thank you. Alrighty, friends, that was Wilson Griffith from Recurate. You spell Recurate like R-E-C-U-R-A-T-E. So if you know anybody that would possibly be interested in the platform or the technology, feel free to send it to them and spread the good word because the more people that reuse their items, the more the planet and people are going to benefit from it. I hope you're enjoying these interviews so far. We've been moving a lot of them live onto Clubhouse. So if you want to be a part of the Q&A, make sure to subscribe to the Impact Everywhere Club or follow me at Von Wong. We host rooms on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays at 1 p.m. At least those are the consistent ones and spontaneous rooms the rest of the time. With that being said, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Stay safe, be inspired, because impact is everywhere.